The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. Let's now go to God's Word. Mark 15:21-32. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him also reviled him. What we just heard was the very word of God. Amen. Amen. Did you know that there are some 361,000 Uh, 481 babies born worldwide per day. Did you know that? It's a lot of babies per day. Uh, Did you know that that means there's around 251 babies born worldwide per minute? I think half of those babies are in this church, you know. Um, uh, And it's such a great thing. Don't, don't, yeah, uh, love the babies. Y'all know I love the the kids. Chris loves the kids. uh, but but what's interesting is all of us came the same way. All of us, none of us that are here came a different way. We all were birthed the same way. And even if it was a complicated uh, procedure, even if it was a normal birth, if you, if you were born at home or if you were born in a hospital or, or in, in the back of a taxi cab, all of us came the same way. The interesting thing about uh, the birthing process is, you know what, it's messy. It, it, it's messy. And, and I'm just curious, who has been in labor for more than 20 hours? Raise your hand if you've been in labor for more than 20. Who has been in labor for more than 30 hours? Woo. Anybody? 35 hours. Lord have mercy. We got a couple people that have been in labor for 35 hours. Need I go any further? Uh, the birthing process is messy. Can we just say thank you to all the mamas here this morning? Thank you all. Um, Lord, thank you. I'm glad uh, that I don't have to. Thank you, Lord. Um, it's messy. You, I mean, and can, I, can I get a little graphic here? Placenta, um, you got all of this stuff. You, uh, you, you've got all of this stuff coming out. 
you, you, you've, you've got the messiness of the birthing process. You've got pain. You, you've got these, these chronic pains that keep coming. And all of a sudden they're coming faster and faster and faster. It's hard stuff, I'm sure. They tell me. But then comes this beautiful baby. Out of mess. Out of something so hard. Out of something so intense comes something incredibly beautiful. All of us came the same way. Out of mess, y'all, comes something incredibly profound. And and I've been to visit many of y'all and it just blows me away what mothers go through to have a child. It blows me away. I don't think I have it in me. I, I don't think I could do it. But yet, as hard as it is, something beautiful. This little child that that looks like you and maybe even acts like you. And it, th- this little child that, that that's taken upon your form and your shape and your personality at times. This beautiful child that you're now... Uh, charged to, to care for and to be over and to teach and to rear. This beautiful child came out of mess, y'all. And I think when we come to our text, it's a, it's a fitting parable in a sense. Because what we will see is the, the messy cross of Christ. It's messy. It, it's painful. It, it hurts someone. And yet, out of the mess, something beautiful comes. Out of something incredibly horrific, something magnificent comes. That's what we see in the cross of Christ. The messiness, the pain, the mocking, the looking down upon, the spitting upon. Out of the mess comes something beautiful. Out of mess comes something magnificent. Out of mess comes something that needs to be beheld. Out of brokenness, out of messiness, y'all, comes the cross of Christ. And there's nothing more beautiful. And yet there's nothing more messy. And we're going to see this beautifully messy cross this morning. But before we dive in, let's pray together. Father, would you just rest upon us? Father, I need your anointing this morning. I need you to speak. I need you to have your way. Would you speak to our hearts, O God? Lord, even in worship, I just felt the heaviness of your presence. And God, we need a word from you. So speak to us. Lord, when your people gather, Lord, we don't just show up to show off clothes, God. We we, we need to hear from you. We need to experience you. So God, speak to our hearts. Challenge us. Convict us. Draw us into your presence this morning. We need you, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Let every heart say...
Amen. One of the things I love about the Gospel of Mark, it is a biography of Jesus. And the Gospel of Mark does an amazing job of of telling the story. The Gospel of Mark, it, it runs as if it's a movie. And we see scene after scene after scene. And the scene that we're going to see this morning is no different. It's filled with action. And that's the thing about Mark. One of the distinct things about the Gospel of Mark is that it communicates the cost of discipleship. A big part of Mark's theme is to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And I love this about Mark because you see other themes in other Gospels. But Mark says it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. And that's one of the first things that we actually see in our passage is Simon the Cyrene. From Cyrene, he, he, he is pulled in on this messy process. Cyrene is this place off the northern coast of Africa. So scholars believe that Simon was a man of color. And he is essentially tapped on the shoulder by a spear of a Roman soldier. And, and they, they request his services. They, they commandeer his services. And they ask him to carry the cross of Christ. And you got to get the scene here. Jesus has been flogged for hours. Beyond recognition. So he is weak. He, he has lost a ton of blood. And, and Simon has been pulled in to this messy process. And he's probably come to Jerusalem for the Passover. He, he spent a great deal of his money. I, I can imagine Simon saving for this lifetime, this once in a lifetime kind of trip. And all of a sudden he finds himself in a mess. And he's asked to take the cross upon himself and to carry it for Jesus. And this is so strange because a condemned person would be required to carry their own cross. And so here, even with Simon carrying this cross, what we see is the theme of Mark coming forward that it costs something to follow Christ. And can I just come through the front door this morning? Some of us think that because Jesus has died on the cross for free, uh, there's nothing that it costs us. And I want to tell you that Mark tells us a different story. That that it costs something to follow Jesus. That that the, the price that Jesus paid at the cross of Calvary costs something. So it costs us something. And that we need to contemplate this cost even before we move forward. And so here, Jesus is weak. He has lost a ton of blood. And so Simon is pulled in onto this messy, into this messy process. And you gotta realize that this is after, uh, the, this is after Palm Sunday. And so obviously today marks in, in the church's historical calendar, it, it marks Palm Sunday. And what Palm Sunday is, is Jesus' final triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus jumps on this donkey, he makes his way into Jerusalem, and he gets the royal treatment, y'all. People are hollering out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're waving palm branches and they're putting palm branches down in his path. They're giving them the royal treatment. 
But what you and I need to see is when Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus sets his face toward death. And he knew it. It wasn't about some show. It it wasn't about form or fashion. But when Jesus jumped on the donkey for Palm Sunday, he is setting his face toward death. An imminent death. And he saw what was coming. Get this, the same people who would yell, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, will flip the script days later and yell, crucify him. And that's where we're going to find ourselves here this morning. We find ourselves in this messed up, hard passage, Jesus' crucifixion. We, We need to know that a little history about what crucifixion would be like. And so here Jesus is, he's already been condemned to death. He's already been flogged beyond recognition. And now there are four Roman soldiers in a square around him. The Roman soldier in front of him is carrying a sign, probably wood. And upon that sign is inscribed the the thing he's been found guilty of. In Jesus' case... The king of the Jews. Here Jesus had made some bold claims and and he is teaching crazy things. And and we can see it extremely clearly in John's gospel. Over and over again, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And for these claims, these are the very things that the the religious elite, they're going to crucify him over. So these Roman soldiers, they, they are around him. And you know what? They don't take the short route to get to Golgotha. They take the longest route. And they do this so that they can put Jesus on display. They take the road that is most traveled and they make their way to Golgotha. They make their way to Calvary. And all along the way, people are mocking him. They're they're talking bad about Jesus. An innocent man, y'all, finds himself about to be crucified. I can only imagine what it'd be like to, to be an innocent man on death row. I can only imagine what it'd be like for the guard to come to me and ask me what my last meal would be. I can only imagine what it would be like to to be asked what my last words were all along knowing that I was an innocent man. And here he is, surrounded by Roman soldiers. Even the bystanders are wagging their heads at him. He's being taunted left and right. Treated poorly. He's already lost a ton of blood. He's already fatigued. And they would take this large beam. They'd take this horizontal beam and they'd take it off of Simon of Cyrene and they'd lay it on the ground and they'd form a T with a vertical beam that was already there. And they'd attach that horizontal beam to that vertical beam. 
they'd put the sign with, with the charges that Jesus would found guilty of. The king of the Jews. They'd affix that signage to Jesus' cross. And then they would lay Jesus down. And they would nail his hands by putting nails through his wrists. And as he la- he's laying down, imagine nails similar to this going through the wrist of Jesus. There'd be a piece of wood in between his legs, and this was to stabilize him so that he could hold his own weight thereby keeping the nails from ripping through his wrist. They'd hoist Jesus up, put him in the ground, and there he would sit. And you know how long it would typically take a person to die the death of crucifixion? A week. And they'd sit there for a week until they starved of hunger or of thirst. Jesus finds himself in a bad predicament. And I don't know about y'all, but I can just imagine the way that I would feel. By the time they started putting the nails in, I, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I wasn't really expecting all of this, and I like those people, but I, it's not going down like that. Now, all of that stuff I said about being the king of the Jews, just just forget it. All of that stuff I said about about saving the world, just just, just forget it. I, I, I would renege. I would pull back. What about you? Jesus finds himself, he finds himself in a tough place. One of the questions we have to beg when we see a passage like this is why? Why the cross? Why? I want to give you three reasons this morning. We've got to see that the cross gives God glory. All throughout Jesus' ministry, He's about His Father's business. Uh, Jesus was so much about His Father's business that at the end of Matthew chapter 12, He says, The one who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus says, My family is the ones who do the will of the Father. He's about His Father's business. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying as He is sweating blood. He prays, God, he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. But then he says this, not as I will, but as you will. He knows what's coming. And he says, God, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus prays, Father, if this is necessary, I'll do it. I'll do your will because I'm about your business. It was the will of the Father that led Jesus to the cross. And it was the will of the Father that made Jesus obedient to the Father at the cross. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's being mocked. Save yourself, they would say to him. Come down from that cross. 
they would say to him. And you know what's so odd about this? Is the Bible tells us in our passage that they derived him. They derided him. And in the original language, this word is the same word from which we get our word blasphemy. And here, this word in the original language actually means, literally means, specifically blasphemy against a deity. Blasphemy against God. So what we see is the very thing that they are charging Jesus with is the very thing that they are actually guilty of themselves. Blasphemy against God. And here they are saying, come down, save yourself if you really are the king of the Jews. And I want to tell you that Jesus is powerful enough to do so. And yet he stays there. And he stays there that he might be obedient to his father. Because Jesus knows that the work that I am doing is about giving glory to God and it's not about you. That's what the cross points to. The cross points to the reality that Jesus, no matter what, will give glory to God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in instructions to Philippians, to the Philippians in Philippians 2, 5 and 8. says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ humbled himself and was obedient to his heavenly Father, that in his obedience to God, God might receive ultimate glory. That was his goal. So interesting to me that um, years ago, uh, LeBron James uh, got a $90 million contract for seven years when he was 18 years old. Before he had even played one NBA game, he got a $90 million contract with Nike for seven years. Crazy. Before he had even played one NBA game. And now LeBron James, not too long ago, recently signed a lifetime contract with Nike. You know what this means? Uh, Some estimates are, and we don't know the exact number, that LeBron James will make $30 million per year for the rest of his life from Nike. That doesn't even count the NBA games. That doesn't even count Gatorade or anything else. $30 million per year. And you know what he says to the media? Lifetime. Lifetime. Yeah, Nike is my family. You know, he's going to do whatever it takes to represent Nike. You will never hear LeBron James talking about Adidas. You just won't. 
You will never hear LeBron James talking about Reebok or New Balance. You, you just won't. You will never hear LeBron James talking about FUBU shoes. No, I'm just kidding, y'all. Uh, I'm joking. Um, he's all about Nike. He is devoted to Nike. Nike has his allegiance. And however he can use his platform to give Nike glory, that's what he will do. And that's what we see here in our passage. Jesus says, whatever it takes, I'm going to give God glory. Whatever it takes, I'm going to magnify his name. Whatever it takes, I'm going to make God big before man. Even so much as being obedient on the cross of Calvary, when he had the power and the authority to come down, Jesus says, I'm going to say yes to death. Just to give his father glory. How are you living your life? Are you living your life to give God glory? Is that a part of your story? Jesus has given us an ultimate example that we might live our lives to give God glory. How are you living your marriage? Are you in your marriage to give God glory? Are you walking as a single person that you might give God glory? Are you raising your children that they might give God glory? What about you? And I got to tell you, I've been asking myself the same thing this week. Chris, are you living your life to give God glory? In a similar way that Jesus showed us here in our passage. Secondly, we need to understand that the cross provides access to God. See, Jesus is pulling, putting it all on the line. He's being mocked by the chief priest. He's being mocked by the scribes. He's even being mocked by people passing by and just standing by. He's being mocked by everybody. And look at the words, look at their words with me in verse 29 through 30. Look at this. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. The chief priest and the scribes, here religious people, they mocked him in verse 31 saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And it's so crazy to me that here they are magnifying Jesus and they still don't believe. They haven't believed his ministry. They, they saw him and how he had authority over sickness and death. They, they saw him raise the dead, but they still do not believe. Man, is that us. And so often we want to put ourselves in the category of the hero. We want to put ourselves on the cross. And we want to say, if I had the chance, I would, I would take the hit. I'd be the one to get crucified. If I had the chance, I know we're the ones wagging our heads. We're the ones yelling, crucify him. We are not the hero in this passage. And what we see is the, the mocking, we, we, we see the shaming, 
And Jesus is still obedient to death. Why? Because he is looking for an opportunity that broken men and women may be reconciled to his, his father. Jesus is looking for the chance for reconciliation. Listen to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1, 18-21. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. See, Jesus paid the ransom. Jesus paid the ransom. Jesus paid the ransom. I cannot say that enough. Because we did not pay the ransom on our own. And there's no good thing that we can do to win ourselves into the good graces of God. Jesus paid the ransom. And this is what he is showing us. Jesus says, my life for yours. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be reconciled to God. It's as if... We were essentially maybe on an island by ourselves. We were on an island, y'all. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. As if these bricks are islands and we're all alone. And those bricks over there, they represent God. And there's no way that I can get to God. I am on an island by myself. There's no way that I can get over to the other side. There's no way that I can get over to God that our relationship might be reconciled. And Jesus says, I'm going to do for you what you can never begin to do for yourself. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to be your bridge. Jesus said, you couldn't get over there on your own, but I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to be a bridge. I'm going to give you a way to get to my Father. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to give my life, and through my own blood, through my own sacrifice, this is how you are going to get over to my Father. There's no other way. I'm I'm the bridge. I'm laying my life down. I'm sacrificing my own blood. And the only way that you can get over to my Father to be reconciled is through me. And Jesus lays himself on the line, y'all. He lays himself down. And he says, I'm going to be your bridge. I'm going to be your way. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to provide a way of salvation for you. And I'm going to do it with my own life. I'm going to ransom you through my own blood. Then the question becomes, have you said yes? Have you said yes to the bridge? The one who has laid his very life down. Have you said yes? 
And are you saying yes every day? Do you rise up in the morning and do you say yes, God? I want you to be my bridge. Do you say yes, thank you for sending your son Jesus? Do you say yes? Are you saying yes to the one who has shed his blood for us? And Jesus says, I did this for you and you could have never accomplished it on your own. And the only thing that I am asking you in return is for your faith. Believe. Trust. Have hope in me. He says, I'm the bridge. I'm your way of escape. And I'm the only way. Have you said yes to that? And lastly and finally, we need to see that the cross declares unspeakable love. Jesus has been falsely accused, y'all. He's been beaten beyond recognition. He is hung on the cross. He is put on display. He had nails in his hands. They've even played a little dice game to divide up his clothing. And they've taken everything that Jesus owned. And they've crucified him. Jesus could have gotten off the cross. He could have said, no, it's not going down like this. He could have rained down angels upon them. And Jesus took the weight of our sin upon himself. And he did it out of unfailing love. Jesus said, yes. I'll take your weight. I'll take your sin. I'll take your burden. You were an enemy of God. And Jesus took the weight of your sin upon himself. As the mockers' voices are crying out, Jesus said, yes. I will take the weight of your sin. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 reminds us that Jesus came not to be served, but he he came to serve. That's love. Listen to what Pastor Sandy Wilson here in town wrote in the book, The Gospel as Center. The grand motive behind all of his words and deeds, behind his great sacrifice for us, is his undeserved, unmerited, unmitigated love for us. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus' sacrifice was for love. Listen to what scholar William Barclay has to say about this. If Jesus had refused the cross, or if in the end he had come down from the cross, it would have meant that there was a limit to God's love. That there was something which that love was not prepared to suffer for men and women. That there was a a line beyond with which it would not go. But Jesus went the whole way and, and died on the cross. And this means that there is literally no limit to God's love. That there is nothing in all of the universe which that love is not prepared to suffer for us. 
that there is nothing, not even death on the cross, which it will refuse to, to bear for us. This is the love of Jesus on our behalf. And Jesus said, at the cross, I will take the weight. And in the midst of all the messiness, like a child coming to shape and coming into the world, the messiness of a child, Jesus comes on the scene and he creates something beautiful. And it is his very life offered up as a sacrifice. And what he asks of us is to say yes to him. Jesus says, I didn't give my life for no reason. I gave it for you out of love. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Can we just take a moment to think about Jesus' desire to please His Father? Jesus' desire for us to be reconciled to God. In his ultimate picture of love for us. And maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I hadn't said yes to that kind of love. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Just to say yes. To say yes to sacrifice. To the sacrifice of Jesus. To say yes to the shed blood of Jesus. The penalty that was paid for your sin. God said there will be no more sacrificing of animals. I'm going to be the once for all sacrifice. So if you're here this morning and you say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to that sacrifice. Would you just slip your hand in the air and I want to pray for you this morning. I want to say yes. Slip it in the air. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Jesus made a sacrifice for me and I just want to say yes to Him. Slip it in the air. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This is what we're here for. Father, thank you. Lord, for every hand that was slipped in the air. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for paying the price for us, God. The price that we could never pay for ourselves. And Lord, for every heart this morning who has a desire, Lord, to, to say yes to your sacrifice, Lord, would you meet them right where they are? Would you meet them in their brokenness? Would you meet them if they're weighed down by their own personal sin? Would you meet them, God? 
Father, I pray that you would make clear a path for each of them, God. And you've laid it out for us that it's only by you. It's only by your Son. That you paid the price for them. You paid the price that they could never pay for themselves. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, God, we pray for these tithes and these offerings that we're about to receive. Father, we pray that you would multiply them, that you indeed, God, would use them to bless this city. That you would push your church forward. That we would have upon our hearts what you have on your heart. Father, I pray that you would take our few fish and our loaves and that you would multiply them this morning, God. That you would give us an abundance of what we need. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.